Welcome to Gray Zone Radio. I'm your host and the editor at thegrayzone.com, Max Blumenthal. This February 19th, people from around the country, from a range of political backgrounds, will gather at 12.30 p.m. at Washington, D.C.'s Lincoln Memorial to rage against the war machine and protest U.S. support for the Ukraine proxy war. There, they'll hear from speakers including Tulsi Gabbard, Jimmy Dore, Dennis Kucinich, Jill Stein, Roger Waters, Anya Parampil, Garland Nixon, Ron Paul, Judge Andrew Napolitano, and me, among many others. Because the rally is co-sponsored by the left-wing People's Party and the Libertarian Party, certain elements which have traditionally asserted leadership over the anti-war movement and left it in a pathetic, moribund state after 20 years of failures have attacked Rage Against the War Machine and attempted to depress turnout. Medea Benjamin, one of the most prominent anti-war personalities in the U.S. and a good friend of the Gray Zone, was forced to withdraw from speaking at the rally after staffers of her Code Pink organization declared opposition to one speaker's views on gender ideology. That's right. If every speaker at an anti-war rally does not hold the correct view on each of the latest boutique social issues, then according to these elements, the rally is invalid. Does that sound like a workable formula for an effective anti-war movement in the United States in the core of the empire? Well, I brought on my friend, comedian Jimmy Dore, and my colleague Aaron Maté to address the controversies surrounding Rage Against the War Machine and to respond to the sectarian elements that are manufacturing them. Take a listen. I'm looking forward to February 19th. It's good to see all the people who are attacking it, which act, which actually means that uh, we're doing something. So if nobody was upset about this uh, rally, I would be worried that, holy shit, we're not actually bothering people. But it turns out that uh, we are. And so that's why all the bad faith attacks are coming from everywhere, from every angle. Yeah. You, can think of, you know, no matter who it is, Tulsi, Ron Paul, uh Scott Ritter, Jack, and me, everybody. It's Chris great. Hedges, Chris Hedges, um, Cynthia McKinney, yeah, um, me, Dennis Anya Parmpil, Dennis Kucinich, noted uh, right winger Dennis Kucinich, noted right winger. <laughs> the guy, so the guy uh, it was so dangerous. They had to gerrymander him out of a district. <laughs> so that's the guy who actually, you know. Maybe a little anti-establishment. Good for Dennis Kucinich. Good for being against the war. There's only one condition that I have for people who want to come be a part of this war anti-war rally, and that is uh, that you're you want to stop the wars. That's it. That's yeah. I mean, okay. I'm not gonna want to be on in there with like Sig Heiling neo Nazis and like you know that Patriot Front group that looks like a bunch of federal assets and they all show up in the same. Nazi costume with masks on like, yeah, I wouldn't want to be among them, but that's not what's going on. And, you know, a lot of times people can be right about things who I don't agree with about other things, but this is the most important cause of our time. This is about civilizational survival. February 19th, Washington, DC. If you're serious about ending this war, if you're serious about stopping nuclear war, If you're serious about disarmament, if you're serious about de-escalation, if you're serious about peace, if you're serious about stopping 
imperial encroachment, if you're serious about challenging NATO, if you're serious about freeing Julian Assange, Julian Assange and his freedom are among the list of demands that all speakers and participants have agreed to. If you're serious about ending the secret government with an over $80 billion black budget known as the CIA, which carries out terror attacks, kidnappings, and torture around the world. If you're serious about those things, you will be there. If you're not serious, you'll find ways of sabotaging this. Well, I think that's what's uh, what's happening is that, of course, you know, the reason why there is no left movement in America and there's absolutely no anti-war movement in America, it's because left organizations are, as we're finding, just like FBI was uh, infiltrated all the social media organizations. And now the CIA is just right on camera now in corporate media. They don't even try to hide it anymore. Uh, so that, that they now they've in fact infected every left organization and they've turned it and how, what do they do? They divide and conquer. And that's exactly what's happened, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so that's what they're trying to do now. And, uh, the thing is, uh, these people who want to like, instead of participate in an anti-war rally, want to talk about, I disagree with their, the people who are speaking's politics. That's just ridiculous. Right. So that shows that you're a cosplayer when it comes to uh, stopping a nuclear war. That's the equivalent of saying, you sure, I'd like to stop a nuclear war, but not with those people. I mean, it's it's, it's comical. Yeah. It's comical. Yeah. That's how ridiculous it is. And it reveals those people to be unserious, insincere people who are cosplaying at anti-war. And so um, if you wanna be a leader, if you're a part of an anti-war organization that doesn't want you to take part in an anti-war uh, a rally, you should be a leader and go to that anti-war rally and lead. That's what leaders yeah. do. Leaders don't take direction, but leaders give direction. Leaders lead and they lead by example. So I'm going to be there and I hope they keep attacking it because that shows you that it's powerful. They're calling it everything in the world, right? Yeah. And so uh, that means we're, 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 it, they don't want this to catch on because there's you got old you got lefties there you got libertarians there you got former congress people there and military people there you got uh all types of people there and that's what scares them that's the only thing that scares them if they can keep us hating half the country and half the country thinking the other half of the country is their enemy instead of with the exact opposite which is that we have a common enemy it's the military industrial complex uh that is bankrupting this country by the way we're ending the way all empires end they just put they just put three more military bases in the Philippines recently. I swear to God, they just did that. That's what this is all about. That's what actually scares them. So that's why they have to attack this actually extra hard because it's got people from all uh, 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 spectrums of the political spectrum. All And so that's why it scares them. Wouldn't you agree, Max? That's what actually scares them. If it was just, if it was just a bunch of green, if it was a, just a bunch of Greenpeace people, or if it was just a bunch of libertarians, or if it was just a bunch of, it, that, it wouldn't have much impact. But the fact right. that it's Hands, that's what gives it its power. People who disagree vehemently about other things. There are people there who who want to end Social Security and take Medicare away from people. That's not what this is about. This is about we have to first stop nuclear war. And then, hey, guess what? We can fight about all that other stuff. That, that's right. One of the things that I think threatens some of the people attacking this rally is that they can't be in charge of the entire thing and decide who to exclude because they love to exclude people. Yes. They love to come up with a laundry list of boutique social issues that you have to sign on to every single one with no, and there's no debate allowed. 
in order to participate in a rally about something else, which ostensibly is what your organization is supposed to revolve around, which is the war state. This is the professional sectarian left that I've had to deal with for years and years and years, whether it was on Palestine or Syria. And then, you know, on COVID, they excluded everyone oh, from COVID. their little meeting rooms. If you had any problem with thousands and thousands of workers being fired because they didn't want to take an experimental gene therapy injection that doesn't prevent transmission or infection, they would completely castigate you. And then you wouldn't be allowed to speak at their anti-war rallies because you opposed like lockdowns that sent people into suicidal ideation and opioid addiction and kept children out of school for a year because you opposed that. The professional sectarian left would exclude you. And what this rally is not doing is excluding people, including them. They would be welcome to speak and participate, but they don't want to. They want to attack because they've lost control, because the professional sectarian left has failed in every respect to form a viable anti-war movement for the past 20 years. And here we are. They want the anti-war movement to be 100 people all wearing the same shirt with multiple advanced degrees who agree on all the same boutique social issues who can fit in one room and they control everyone and everything everyone says. And this rally has broken that model because it's just open. It's what you make of it. It's what anyone wants it to be. And so they are working to sabotage it. And I know from having worked with some of these people in the professional sectarian left that they destroy every institution that they become a part of. They burrow from within, they get in there. And then if you are trying to work for a greater goal within that institution and it doesn't follow their sectarian line, then they start to attack you from within and run campaigns against you. And then ultimately they try to destroy the whole organization unless you get them the hell out of there. And so every institution, every NGO, every media organization that they get in, they're a problem. And now they're becoming a problem within this one. All we're trying to do is stop a nuclear war. And yeah, I do. I deeply disagree with a lot of the other speakers on things like unions or crime and these kinds of issues. Uh, I'm going to go out and I'll organize for, uh, you know, teachers unions to fight privatization in the future. I'll, this, this doesn't stop me from that. I can go up there and say whatever I want, as can any left-wing speaker. Well, let's address some of the the, the, the controversies because uh, one my friend Medea Benjamin, who's someone that you know I've worked with for years, who's done some of the most important anti-war organizing, is not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to speak because there's naughty people on stage. It's like it's like Ned Flanders won't allow his kids to have sugar. Remember Rod and Todd? They're like, we're not allowed, Bart. We're not allowed to have the sugar. So Medea's not allowed by un, you know people who, like these uh, professional sectarians who are in her organization, and and so she had to issue a statement. And I find this really upsetting, honestly that someone of Medea's stature with her experience and wisdom has to even do this and say this. Uh, and I've been trying to discuss this with her directly. She was just in Cuba. She's been fighting the siege of Cuba for longer than I've been alive or as long as I've been alive. But uh, Medea Benjamin said, why am I, people are asking me why I'm not speaking at the Rage Against the War Machine rally. I supported it, the rally from the time of its conception and I support it today, even though I will not be one of the speakers because the organization I support, I have been a part of for 20 years, Code Pink urged me not to speak. The Code Pink staff, meaning people who work for her, felt that my participation would hurt the group standing with other coalitions committed to gay rights, women's rights, and anti-racism.
They felt that Jackson Hinkle has taken stands that are anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-feminist, and Islamophobia. I guess they mean Islamophobic. And they were concerned about the sponsorship of the Libertarian Party's, party's uh, Mises Caucus, Miss, Mises Caucus, after Ludwig von Mises, the Austrian economist. This is exactly my joke. I, hey, I want to yeah. stop a nuclear war, but not with those people. I, I want to talk with people who wear pink hats and vote the right way yeah. and, and have all the same sensibilities that I have. That's not how anti-war shit works. Do you that's think not, the people in the dawn? That's why in the last 20 years, the war machine has fucking exploded while you people did this like this. It's laughable. Your joke. That's a it joke. It is a joke, and every and everyone's laughing well, at that. That's, a, that's not so. Here, here's the thing that they don't understand. They don't understand how to fucking do anything, and they don't understand how to organize. And what they could do is take a uh, so a lesson from Christian Smalls, right? So Christian Smalls organized a union on Staten Island against Amazon, right? And now the way the way these people would organize a union where they go, hey, who here agrees with us on LGBTQ? Okay, you can be in our union. You can't. Hey, who here agrees with us on Social Security and Medicare? Okay, you can be on you. Who doesn't? You can't. You, that's not how you, Who here's a gun nut? You're out. Who here's a libertarian? You're out. Who here's a proud boy? You're out. Who here's about you're that's not how you organize. And yeah. that's what that's that's what they're pretending how you organize. No, what they're doing is revealing that they're cosplaying as anti-war people. It's a social thing for them. If they're not real because that's not how you organize anything. That's not how you organize a union. That's not how you organize an anti-war rally. You don't start excluding people on other parts of their politics. And I was talking to uh, Jay Buffon from the, our Revolutionary Back Blackout Network. He's gay. And he said, you know, the whole point is if I went to a rally and there was people who didn't agree with me on LGBTQ and then maybe they meet me and then they realize we have more in common then that separates us and they get to know me and maybe what they thought wasn't true about me. And isn't that the way we're supposed to do this? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how you're supposed to do it. But these people uh, want it. It's just a social club to them. That's yep. all that is. Yeah. And, and, and it threatens their own identity when they it's a social club they're not actually about converting people they're not actually about getting people they're not about winning people over with their arguments they're about excluding people in a social club yeah guess what you're not an activist you're a social club and you're revealing it you have to meet people where they are not everyone is going to agree with you out there in the rust belt for example about social issues but more and more of them are pissed off about this war and billions of dollars going to Ukrainian warlords and Zelensky. It's 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 very easy to break through to them about this. Maybe then you can break through to them about some other issues, but this is just about excluding a majority of people, not just in the United States, but across the global South who do not agree about these issues either. That's I don't think the peasant, the people waging the peasant rebellion in Peru against the illegal overthrow of Pedro Castillo will agree with Code Pink's staff on all the issues, nor would, would the people I met in the rubble in the Gaza Strip who had their homes destroyed by the Israeli apartheid military. And they don't care if it's some woke grad student with blue hair who's helping them get out from under the boot of empire, or if it's a camo-clad gun-toting Trumper. They just want the bombs to stop falling. And that's what we are trying to do. And let me make another point about organizing, because I went against my community to 
try to educate Americans about the real apartheid Israel they didn't know. And I spent, I've spent years of my life doing it, reporting from the field, writing books, doing documentaries, whatever I can do. And I've organized with Palestinians who are extremely conservative Muslims. I've spoken at the American Muslims for Palestine conference four times. They practice gender segregation at that conference, okay? Women have to go into a separate entrance for men. Many of the younger women don't like it, but the constituents, that is their culture and they actually support that. And I, as a speaker, I'm not gonna say, well, you're separating men and women, so I'm not gonna organize with you even though you have a national coalition and uh, fighting apartheid Israel because the most important thing for me is the struggle against Zionism. It's for Palestinian women, however they want to live culturally, to be able to at least travel outside of their walled in ghetto to not have a walled-in ghetto, to not be refugees. And it's the same thing here. Do you think the people under the bombs of NATO in the Donbass who have been being killed and massacred for eight years care if everyone is pro-trans at this rally? It's, it's, it's crazy. By the way, I don't agree with Jackson Hinkle on a lot of socialist issues. He knows that. I'm, I'll say it to his face, but... I don't agree with Ron Paul on a lot of stuff either. Yeah. I don't agree with I don't agree with Chris Hedges on COVID. It doesn't matter with you agree yeah. with people on other issues. Yeah, I'll say it to their face, but Chris Hedges is still my friend. Uh, yeah. he, Craig he was, is still a hero to me. Yeah, I mean, he was a, in many ways a mentor to me. And so we can disagree about many things. Um, yeah, and I can still <laughs> learn from people I disagree with. Well, this is just, this to me is the cause of our time. And, you know, I believe that many we, more people will sign on to this rally from the left who are overlooking this. But Chris Hedges, I spoke to him on the phone the other day about this rally. And he, the first thing he said to me was after 9-11, the only people who were doing anything against the Afghan war were the Avakian people from the Revolutionary Communist Party. Like, I don't care if they're, they're Maoists, like I'm not a Maoist, but they were out there doing something and they were giving me a platform to rail against this war you're right on i i've i've spoken on their radio shows i i don't have i think bob avakian's like kind of like a seems like a cult leader to me but i don't care you want me on your show i'll, I'll come on but the professional sectarian left they actually officially boycotted me because i opposed the firing the mass firing of workers for not taking a experimental gene therapy injection which has been proven dangerous to women of childbearing age has been banned for young people across Scandinavia and Western Europe and does not prevent transmission or infection. But there's no debate allowed. There's no discussion. It was like, with that, I was immediately castigated by these right. people. And so they are the problem. They are the problem. We wow. need a mass movement. We're in the heart of the empire. Well, We're there's in the imperial be, core and we can't do it alone. There's supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to have values. Right. And so and what do you have values for? Not for when tough, when it's easy to follow them. You have to have values because it's going to be hard and you're going to have to have to stick by those values. John Stewart said one time, I'll never forget. He said, if you don't follow your values when it's hard, then they're not values. They're just hobbies. Yeah. And so the value of free speech and bodily autonomy has to be a value. And people were revealed that they didn't get, they didn't really have that value, that they could give that value up just by being lied by a propaganda machine uh, funded by bil uh, billions of dollars by Bill Gates and Big Pharma. And so it, 
it, it, it was nuts what happened. Turns out we were right. Of course, the Supreme Court in New York overturns that ban on uh, and all those. They, they let a they let a, a seventy thousand healthcare workers be fired yeah. in the middle of a of a, what they called a deadly pandemic, and no one gave a shit about it. Nobody cared about those people who were treating COVID patients just you know weeks earlier without a vaccine, and now it's just. Uh, it, it it revealed a lot of people, and so it and and it made it strange bedfellows. It really yeah. did. I would I would not I would not think that the people who vote Democrat would be cozying up to the security state and the censors. And uh, you know what somebody said? Uh, hey, when can you point to a time in history when the people doing the censoring turned out to be the good guys? Can you say, no, you're the bad guys. Anybody doing the censoring is always the bad guys. And but what can you ever point to a problem that censorship ever fixed? No, there's never so it's it's nuts to see what has happened, and it's nuts to see the dividing lines now politically, and it's nuts that people think that it's a legitimate reason not to go to a, a anti-war rally because you disagree with the politics of the other people speaking there. That's just that just reveals you to be uh, a, a child like uh, thinking, and it's not how organizing works. Yeah, yeah, and. It was really instructive to me, Jimmy, you were part of this as well, to be at the defeat the mandates rallies, because right. those were rallies where people just put aside all their differences. You had That's so right. many random, it was a real motley crew on stage at those rallies to defeat the mandates, which were disastrous on so many levels. And, you know, you had and, us and on stage with Tramel Thompson. He was a union leader in New York, a a, 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 an organizer of the subway union. You had Joe Rose, a Harlem-based public school worker who was seeing the damage that the lockdowns and the mandates were doing to young kids, especially, uh, especially poor black kids in Harlem. And she just got out there on the street corner with a bullhorn and started organizing. She organized with people from who are America First types from Staten Island. They put aside all their differences. And then you had you had uh, Kwame Brown, former Washington Wizards player, up there with uh, right wing truckers, uh, hippies from the uh, you know natural natural path movement. All kinds of people were up there for one cause, and it was massive. The rally that took place in Washington and Los Angeles was massive because they weren't putting up all of these conditions. It was one issue, and that's the same thing that's happening here. So. I, it's very difficult to organize an anti-war movement in the United States right now, especially when it's a proxy war where the U.S. is providing the weapons, the AI. Basically, the Ukrainians are proxy American soldiers, but they're dying and we don't care. The American war planners, the sociopaths, the neocons, they don't care about Ukrainian blood. They just care about sending more and more American bullets. So Americans don't see that they're coming back home draped in American flags and coffins or with their legs blown off like Iraq. And you have a democratic president. You have a democratic president. So it's not, you're not going to get a bunch of liberals out there marching like in the glory days of the anti-war movement against Bush's Republican war. Right. Uh, and you know, Matt Gates, Jimmy has just introduced a resolution. The, what is it? The Ukraine fatigue act to defund the war. Yes. Uh, what is no. Rokana and AOC going to say about that? You know, well, oh, well, he's a racist. Uh, so we're not I'm not supposed to try to end a war with Matt Gates. I mean, of course, I mean, yeah. doesn't doesn't Bernie Sanders work with the, Senator Lee? And I mean, that that's that that's he what did. 
That's what gives things power. When people diametrically opposed on other issues can come together on something. That's what I remember when Newt Gingrich started to come around on climate change in the in like 2007 and eight and something like that and started doing commercials about it. And I was like, holy shit, they're going to that that means that uh, there's going to be something happening about this. Well, then that all went to shit. But that's what gives things power. Okay, so. Uh, and and everybody knows that, right? And so the war machine laughs when they do this, when they let woke, you know, politics of any kind get in the way of uh, people think it's bad. They're like, I remember at first they were like, well, we don't want to get negative press. And I was like, that's the only kind of press you're going to get. Are you kidding? Yeah. So you should hope, and you should hope for as much of it as possible because it's not a bad, it doesn't. It's a badge of honor to get negative press from the military industrial complex funded press. What is wrong with you? That's exactly yeah. what you want. I can't wait to get, they're already doing it. That Newsweek just put out a hit piece uh, yesterday about this uh, and with me and called me a right-wing conspiracy theorist. You know, that conspiracy that Russiagate was bullshit. Turns out I was right. That the gas attacks was also bull. I, I was right about, you know, and now I don't know what other thing that could be. And then, okay, COVID. The narrative they lied about everything they lied about masks they lied about herd immunity they lied about natural immunity they lied about lockdowns they lied about transmission they lied about contraction there wasn't anything they lied about and so uh all you had to do was look but that's also against the cult you can't yeah. you can't it's, it's a very cult-like thinking and so you can't run an anti-war movement like a cult yeah you, you have to be open to everybody and the only thing they have to be is against the war yeah and we will see how successful this is. I'm not an organizer. I have detailed knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes, the organizing, the mistakes that are being made, but I'm not an organizer. So I can't be in total control of whether it succeeds or not. It's really up to all of you who are watching this to come to Washington, get offline, show up in real life, show the war state that you want to change their strategic calculus, that they understand that Americans from all political backgrounds and walks of life oppose this insane march to nuclear Armageddon that's stripping money out of our pocketbooks and putting it in the hands of Ukrainian Nazi warlords. That's, it's, it's your decision. You decide. Get off the chat, show up on February 19th, and send a serious message. And send a message to the sectarian elements that are trying to tear this down, that they don't, they don't control the anti-war movement that they have failed to do anything with for 20 years. They have failed in every respect for 20 years. They don't have a, a record to stand on. So it's it's time for people across the country. I mean, the, to rise you're, talking, up. you're talking about the anti-war movement of the last 20 years. What do they have to show for it? Yeah. I don't know. The you know, military even under Trump, they exploded the military budget, 132 billion dollars. This that and that's not people forget that's not just one year, that's every year in perpetuity. Once they raise it, it never goes back down. It's not just this year. And by the way, that's enough that that was enough money to fix homelessness five times over when just when Trump was president. So they just this is how all empires end. The empire's ending, and, and but the, the petrodollar is going away. So the America that dollar is not going to be the reserve currency of the world anymore it's, we are pretty close to being brazil as it is except for a handful of cities in america it's uh, it, people uh and so the and the you know bigger the bigger problem is then this reveals this right too is that that um 
somebody, someone smarter than me, I heard talking about how in the other parts of the world, the the left movement is always connected to the workers and the blue collar people, and and that's not the way in America. The left is like this middle class journey, and they yeah. care more about getting people of color on a board. Uh, and having equity on a board instead of a minimum wage or a living wage and getting health care for their workers and stuff like that, unions and stuff. So that's the, and this is, this all reveals it. And so what workers should have learned through the pandemic was that they don't care about you and you are essential. They're not essential. You're essential. And while you are out there uh, working during the pandemic, uh, they didn't give you any more money and they took $5 trillion and gave it to all their friends. Yep. And while they still didn't give you health care and they still didn't give you living wage, they still didn't give you any kind of protection and they still got homeless people living under every bridge. Yep. So people once need to know that they need to lose faith in the system. Joe Biden and the Democrats are not going to stop a war. AOC and Bernie Sanders are not going to stop a war. What's going to stop a war is people getting in the streets and stopping a war. And it's got to start. It's got to start now. And the people who want to cosplay, you can't pay it. You can't pay attention to those people. And you have to hope for negative press because that's the only press we're going to get. So all these people will find out about it. And so everybody's welcome, even the cosplay people. Show up to an anti-war rally and learn how, to, how it goes. This is how it works. Well, that's the thing. If they showed up, I wouldn't be like, how dare you show up? You attack no. me. You no, speak. And, 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 you know, I'm reading some of these attacks, the top Google result for rage against the war machine. One of them says the rally's racist. So they're, and, and it, it, it <laughs> implicitly says, you know, I'm whatever a racist for joining it or something. It also erases the black speakers, but you know, even if the author of that or anyone promoting that showed up, I wouldn't hold it against them. If they just show up, I don't care. They, I mean, I'm not going to make it personal. They're the ones who make it personal. And, and, you know, just one more thing about Ron Paul, uh, Ron Paul's 87. Ron Paul is uh, of anyone who ever showed up on a debate stage of the major two parties. He has been the one candidate who consistently challenged the war state and sent a very strong, and he's continued to do so at the Ron Paul report, along with Daniel McAdams, who's also going to be at the rally. Ron Paul's going to be there in person. He doesn't do anything in person anymore. He lives in like Tyler, Texas or some, he lives in Texas. And he, this rally is so important to him that he's coming in to speak there. And what has Ron Paul, I, I totally disagree with like, you know, eliminating the government, all that libertarian stuff. Let's get rid of the, the, the FAA and, you know, privatize that. No. But Ron Paul always also opposed the drug war, the racist drug war waged by Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and Jim Crow Joe, Joe Biden. And you know who endorsed Joe Biden? Bernie Sanders, the choice of the professional sectarian left. And the drug war has done so much harm to black America, but they always wind up supporting those candidates and tailing the Democrats. So, you know, is Ron Paul just fundamentally evil? Is he so evil that you will boycott it when Dennis Kucinich is also on stage, someone who supports a very strong public sector and teachers unions? Is it really worth it? It's obvious that there is a, a, a narcissistic tendency at play here. This is about control. This is about ego. And it's not about the, it, it, this is about ulterior motives. Oh, I experienced similar things over uh, forced to vote where uh, people, <laughs> You know, I wasn't allowed to be an organizer because I wasn't I wasn't given an official badge by somebody or something. 
and everyone forgetting that AOC was a bartender two years before, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's just a way to discredit. You're right. There's a lot of egos involved, which is some stunning to me. And, uh, so if somebody came along with a good idea, Hey, if somebody has another war rally, I'll go to it. Uh, no problem. And I'm not, I have no ego about it. Uh, if somebody let's do yeah. it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll, you know, I'm and not I'm, allowed to speak at those other rallies because, uh, I oppose the, Branch Covidian PSYOP, but uh, I'll still go there. <laughs> anyway, let's bring in the buzzsaw. Aaron oh. in the house. Hey, guys. I uh, That was a great discussion, and uh, I, agree, I agree with everything said. And I was thinking, like, remember in 1982, there was like a million people in Central Park protesting nuclear war, and it was effective. It helped lead to the momentum that caused the arms control agreements between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And I'm th there's a million people in Central Park. I mean, that's a fraction of what we can get out now. And how are we ever possibly going to get out a million people to oppose nuclear war? Even now, now, now we're in a time that is just a da as dangerous as it was in the early 80s, if not more dangerous. How are we going to get pe people out if we're so divided and so sectarian? Maybe we uh, promise lunch. Promise <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but then it, then it becomes who's the vendor, Jimmy? Is the is uh, the uh, vendor? Are they using? Uh, is it kosher? Yeah, is it kosher exactly? Are they using the honestly the, the last massive rally I went to against the system that well actually one no one of the most massive rallies I went to that was just against the the two party system and corporate politics was outside the Democratic National Convention in two thousand. Al Gore and Joe Lieberman were on the ticket. And Rage Against the Machine played a free concert outside the Staples Center in LA. I was there, and they got a hundred thousand people out there. It was a, a the, the Democrats were freaking out, and I was kind of near the stage, and I saw this group of some twenty people wearing masks walk towards the stage. They were black block, you know, and you didn't know who they were. They all went up to the stage, gave Zach De La Rocha the finger. And then they all walked towards where the cops were and just started throwing bottles at the cops. Within five minutes, the police had sent in horses, tear gas, the entire rally, and the, all, the, the entire grounds of Staples Center was cleared out thanks to 20 uh, sectarian freaks from Black Bloc who probably were uh, cop infiltrators. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. So that's, I mean, I just see that happen again and again. Aaron, let's play a, a minute of this uh, March for Disarmament. Man, this is vintage. Is this datum? Look at all those people, man. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. We've got Jackson Brown singing. Jackson Brown, yeah, he he used to be a big donor to democracy now. Presentation of KBDI and independent producers, dozens of them from across the country, bringing you live coverage of the Peace Rally here in Central Park in New York City. Rally. And uh, this program is being presented via satellite by the Public Interest Video Network. Uh, public Interest Video provides let's, let's, alternative. Let's, uh, look at the size of this. Look at that. That's look huge. It's that. amazing. Yeah, but there's too many white people there. We need to condemn it. <laughs> I got it. There's, I saw an American flag. Does that mean they're patriotic socialists? We should condemn it. And, and this was like a happening. This was like the place to be in New York. And this was at the height of the Cold War. I actually didn't know about uh, how large that rally was. 
It was huge. It was massive and it was historic and it had an impact. I mean, a few years later, Reagan and Gorbachev negotiated the INF Treaty and things like yep. this had a huge impact. Um, and now we're at a time which is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, and there's nothing. And we and the leftists can't even organize a unified rally. And look, you know, I have to say, if I was organizing this rally, there are speakers there who I wouldn't have chosen. But the point is, I'm Agreed. not the organizer. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't step up and organize this thing. So when someone does and takes puts in the work to put something together, then you know, like either I can hold to uh, my idealized version of what a rally should be, or I can accept the reality that this is who's doing the work. And so, how can I not support them uh, unless I just wanted to burn everything down? And so, I it's un it's unfortunate to see this. And there's talk of now a new a new uh, rally later on, but it's like, what's the point if we can't do all this together? And everything you said about, I'd happily welcome people at a rally who've, uh, if they had politics I didn't like, or if they had attacked me personally, but it's not reciprocal. It just isn't. Um, yeah. and, and you guys are a good example of that because of the stance you took about COVID. And it speaks to the fact that people are not actually devoted to the causes they care about. <laughs> They're not. They're not. Well, like you didn't exactly. agree with me, at least at the beginning, Aaron, and it wasn't, uh, you're still here. And Yeah, no, of course. Don't really. Yeah. I, I didn't really make it a litmus test for no 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 and uh people who do impose these kinds of tests i think are um doing everyone a big disservice and you know i it's it's not my lane i it, like i'm not an organizer and um but i just look at this from a distance and i it's just unfortunate but i um and i i have to blame russiagate <laughs> partly too <laughs> because russiagate helped turn a lot of progressives into cheerleaders for the national security state. And it meant that energies were going into not protesting wars, but protesting against the firing of Jeff Sessions, for example, when Trump oh, fired yeah. him. So that was an like important that. rally uh, that, you know, during the Trump era, this is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Sessions. Sessions protests, thousands march. <laughs> oh my God. This was like a huge rally in Times Square. I remember the the Revolutionary Communist Party was protesting against the firing of Jeff Sessions, Jeffrey Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. Yeah. So this oh, is man. just like this is why because Trump didn't wear a mask, everybody became maskers. If Trump would have been a masker, people would have called him nuts. Uh, this is Trump fires <laughs> Sessions. He's got to be good. So whatever Trump did, that's just their flex. It was their flex for four years. It still doesn't stop being their flex. I, I grew up in, in in Tacoma, DC, Tacoma Brightwood, on and the, on the other side of the border, the Maryland side was Tacoma Park. And in the '80s, around the time of that rally, Aaron, that 1982 rally, and I grew up in the late '80s in DC, '90s. Throughout that whole time, Tacoma Park was like our Berkeley. It was our kind of left anti-war bastion, and they declared themselves a no nuclear zone. I remember NBC News did a report in like 1988 on how Tacoma Park hates Reagan and Reaganism and wants to end the Cold War. Today, if you go to Tacoma Park, everybody has Ukraine flags on their house. And and, and you know who has a Ukraine flag oh. on his house in Tacoma Park is Representative Jamie Raskin, who's one of the most McCarthyite, fanatically pro-war members of Congress in a formerly anti-war district, solid blue. Uh, who's the son of an anti-war activist who set up one of the few uh, ostensibly anti-war think tanks in Washington, Institute for Policy Studies. And his son was an anti-war activist who wrote for antiwar.com. So what, what is this about?
it's kind of about status within the liberal world. Like Ukraine has become, it, it, it's kind of like getting vaccinated for liberals or uh, it's like, it for them, it's, it's it, you see that the flag on their lawns with Black Lives Matter signs, they see them as synonymous. And it's also the impact of R2P, humanitarian interventionist politics yeah. within the Democratic Party, where they now see wars as efforts to save civilians, civilian protection, whether it's Syria, Ukraine, uh, Libya, Iraq was even sold to them. And I remember Code Pink sent a delegation to Afghanistan and they came back and said, our troops need to stay there longer to save the women. No. What? When? But that happened? Get out of I here. I think in 2009 or 2007, it was like right before the surge. Amnesty International organized in support of maintaining uh, U.S. troops in uh, Afghanistan. They put up uh, posters, I think it was around a NATO meeting, demanding that troops stay in to save the women. So this is just liberalism today. It's Max Blumenthal. Welcome back to Gray Zone Radio. You've been listening to my discussion with comedian Jimmy Dore and journalist Aaron Mate about the Rage Against the War Machine rally this Sunday, February 19th in Washington, D.C. at 12.30 p.m. at the Lincoln Memorial. That's February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. at 12.30 p.m. Be there to protest U.S. support for the Ukraine proxy war. Meanwhile, in Turkey and Syria, an earthquake has killed tens of thousands of people. And as Americans, we're unable to send aid to most Syrians who are living in the affected area. Why? Because of the sadistic U.S. sanctions imposed on the country amidst a multi-billion dollar campaign to flood Syria with weapons and jihadist death squads in a ruthless bid for regime change. Along with Aaron Mate, I discussed the deadly impact of the U.S. government's so-called Caesar Sanctions Act on average Syrians who survived the recent earthquake. Yeah, so moving on to another uh, catastrophe, a massive earthquake has struck and killed tens of thousands in Turkey and Syria. As we know, Syria has been the target of a more than over a decade long dirty war by the US and its allies, including NATO member state Turkey, jihadist death squads, have been armed and trained to, to ravage the country of Syria, to topple the government in Damascus. And when that failed, the US military proceeded to occupy one third of Syria in its Northeast, its wheat fields and its oil fields, and is now stealing the oil, which accounts for some 80% of Syria's revenue, while the remnants of those jihadist gangs were given control over the northwestern Idlib province, which is essentially a Turkish proxy. And the rest of the Syrian state, where most Syrians live, regardless of how they feel about their government, is being starved, subjected to famine, starved of oil, and now starved of aid as an earthquake has struck and particularly hit the northern areas of Syria that were most ravaged by the war. Aaron, how are the sanctions affecting the ability to get aid into Syria? 
So even before the earthquake, uh, you had people like Elena Dohan, the UN Special Rapporteur on Unilateral Coercive Measures, aka sanctions, warning that Western-led sanctions were strangling Syria, were suffocating Syria. We interviewed her yeah. on the Gray Zone a few months ago. And so yeah. now um, you have a situation where you have, according to Syrian officials, uh, international cargo planes don't want to land in Syria because the moment they do, they worry they'll be subjected to sanctions. And you have uh, all these companies and organizations who know that if they engage in any kind of transaction that will deliver aid to Syria, that they're at risk. Uh, and so they just hold back. And this has been the case for many years now. And this is why you've had doctors in Syria trying to having to smuggle in parts to fix medical equipment, smuggle it in from when they go abroad. And so now the country lacks um, uh, fuel for its equipment uh, and it lacks supplies. It lacks the infrastructure because it's been so decimated by war and sanctions. Now, finally, the US has said that they're announcing an exemption to allow for earthquake relief. And I haven't had the chance to look into uh, the details yet and whether this is a concrete shift or whether it's just semantics. But regardless, the fact that they even have, have to go and issue the so-called exemption, it underscores that U.S. policy has been to block aid. Otherwise, yeah. why would you need to issue an exemption now yeah. if you were always allowing aid in, right? Um, and uh, this was underscored by Pavel Wargon, who says, what is this? But So he's, he's talking about the uh, waiver by the U.S. Treasury Department of sanction. He says, what is this but an admission of what both the US and EU regimes have, have vehemently denied. The sanctions act as an obstacle to humanitarian aid. That's exactly right. And it also underscores, by the way, that the real authoritarians are the governments of the US and EU who give themselves the right to decide what aid Syrians can and can't receive. Did anybody in Syria vote for bureaucrats in Washington or Brussels to decide whether or not they can live? Yeah. Did uh, Assad, issue any orders blocking the delivery of like powdered milk or cement to, uh, you know, uh, affected areas of disasters in the U.S.? Of course not, because it's only the U.S. that asserts an authoritarian right uh, across borders to decide for countries whether or not their people can survive. And it's all the more cynical to do this after spending billions of dollars on a dirty war that left the country in ruins. And both of us have seen this, Mac. We've both been to Syria now, and we saw for ourselves what a tough state it's in after a war. And I can't even imagine what Aleppo and 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 uh, Latakia look like now after this earthquake. But it's all my Syrian friends, just it's, it's, it's horror story after horror story. And you can take any sort of little story, like there was a, a Syrian uh, based in Germany who, who raised about 10,000 euros on GoFundMe. And when he went to try to collect the money and disperse it, GoFundMe said, we can't because of the sanctions. Yep, <clears throat> GoFundMe's blocked. Credit cards are blocked for Syrians. Pretty much any Western cargo plane is not allowed to land in Syria. So there's nothing landing at the airports, which are constantly attacked by Israel, the yeah. Israeli military. Yeah. You say Mana Hassan raised almost 10,000 pounds for Syrian earthquake relief. GoFundMe won't let him donate money due to Western sanctions on Syria. We're not even allowed to donate to those in need. That's because our Western rulers, only Syria policy is sadism. And of um, course, this comes, by the way, and we haven't mentioned this yet, 
uh, I don't think, as the U.S. is militarily occupying one-third of Syria to steal its fuel and wheat. And that's a major factor in Syria's energy problems, that the U.S. steals Syria's major uh, oil reserves and won't let them have it. Uh, and meanwhile, when Syria tries to get fuel from elsewhere, like Iran sends in tankers, what happens? Israel literally bombs those tankers or uh, the U.S. blocks the ships from, uh, from coming because of the sanctions. So it's just the country is terrorized from without, from outside. And now it suffers this uh, earthquake from within. And the U.S. policy is to claim it allows some exemptions to slightly uh, ease the chokehold a little bit, I guess. But we'll see if that practically has any impact. Well, there are many organizations that are raising money for Syrian aid right now. And one of them is the Syrian American Medical Society. And as I reported during the height of the dirty war back in 2017, the Syrian American Medical Society only works in areas held by Al Qaeda affiliated groups that had been backed by Turkey and the CIA. The Syrian American Medical Society actually was funded by USAID. It lobbied for direct US military intervention in Syria. It lobbied for sanctions on Syria. It lobbied for the catastrophic sanctions that the US has to lift to get aid in. Its doctors functioned essentially as Al-Qaeda's mass unit. They were working with jihadist gangs inside Syria uh, to treat fighters, as far as I know. And uh, their leadership also collaborated closely with Israel in Israel's Kogat, which is the Israeli uh, military administration unit that oversees the occupation of Gaza in order to go into the Gaza Strip. And they have done events with pro-Israel organizations in and around Chicago, uh, breaking the BDS call. So this is a completely contemptible organization, the Syrian American Medical Society. And here's one group that I wanted to recommend uh, that is able to raise money for Syrians who are living in the area where most Syrians live, and that's the Syria support movement. Um, my friend Paul Arruti is involved with this group. I went to Damascus with him. I personally saw him and others go into homes to deliver aid to families who had been affected by the war. And they're hated because these families happen to live on the government side, and they are those, those people don't exist. We've just been told they don't exist and that the only people that exist in Syria are in areas controlled by the U.S.-backed death squads. So there's a Syria support movement. I'm giving an appeal to them. You can give to them. Just look them up. And it's 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 allowed under Treasury OFAC rules now. It always has been. Um, but the U.S. unblocked the sanctions obstructing earthquake relief. This allows you to donate directly to the hardworking Syrian organizations on the ground who are doing wonderful work. That also includes the Syrian Red Crescent which treats people regardless of who they are, unlike the Syrian white helmets. And we should talk about that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> yes, we should, because they're gonna um, be the financial beneficiaries of this earthquake because the US won't allow aid to go into uh, organizations that operate uh, in, in, in territory controlled by the Syrian government. So. You know, uh, when it comes to the U.S. is going to try to steal, uh, steer donations, uh, U.S. taxpayer money into groups like the White Helmets. And Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, has talked about this, that we have our partners on the ground. Yes. Yeah. Who are those partners? It's partners like the White Helmets who work, as you've reported, Max, extensively, 
hand in glove with sectarian death squads uh, who have been credibly accused of being involved in the Duma deception. They staged a hospital scene in Duma to make it look as if they were treating victims of a chemical attack. Yep. When now multiple witnesses say that the, basically that, steam, that scene was staged. The White Helmets came in with cameras, started grabbing kids and hosing them down and filming it, and then put out that footage to make the world think that these were victims of a chemical attack. The White Helmets were also used by the OPCW in violation of the OPCW's own rules, as I reported, to collect samples, which then magically became the smoking gun in the OPCW's Duma probe for them to claim that Syria was guilty of a chemical attack. Um, and they were, you know, look, the, with Duma, you have dozens of people being killed. And if the evidence shows that this was not from a Syrian government chemical attack, as the evidence does show, because we know about that from the OPCW leaks, the question of, is how were these people killed? And one possibility is that the insurgents who staged this incident just took victims who happened to have been killed in a Syrian government bombing and used their bodies as props, or they were actually murdered by these insurgents who staged this scene. And that's personally my speculation. And then you have to wonder, were, were the White Helmets involved in that, given they played an instrumental role in spreading the allegation of a chemical attack? They were the first people supposedly on the scene at that building in Duma where the bodies were filmed. They did the thing in the hospital. So we're talking about people that are not just cooperating with insurgents. Uh, they could be cooperating with insurgents' atrocities directly. And this is who the U.S. is partnering with. And, and, and one point I wanted to make is that the White Helmets have been involved in trying to prevent aid from getting to Syrians in the areas where most Syrians live for a long time. Mm -hmm. This is after the pandemic was declared over COVID-19 statement of the Syrian regime's request to lift economic sanctions on the pretext of fighting the COVID-19 virus in Syria. The White Helmets were used to maintain sanctions to prevent, uh, for example, ventilators or PPE or just any early treatment from getting into Syria or just simply money to repair Syria's hospital system. The hospital system has been hard hit. Syrians have had a hard time getting uh, cancer drugs, chemotherapy, because yeah. of the U.S. Caesar sanctions, and so here's the white here are the white helmets actually declaring that aid should not get into Syria because their goal they are a sectarian organization attached to jihadist death squads whose goal all along has been to get Syria to be bombed by the United States. They even had a form calling for a petition calling for a no fly zone when you went to their website for many years. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Gray Zone Radio. I've been your host, Max Blumenthal. To see more of our independent reporting and sign up for our newsletter, visit thegrayzone.com. That's G-R-A-Y zone.com. And once again, I'm urging everyone to get out and protest U.S. support for the Ukraine proxy war at the Rage Against the War Machine rally this Sunday, February 19th at 12.30 p.m. at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. This show was produced by Christopher Weaver.